Hey everyone, I'm Jose Hernandez and welcome to Behind the Backing Track for Outsider Music. Outside and Music is a media company and record label that connects jazz artists with their passionate fan bases. Please visit us at our website at outsideofmusic.com, where you can see our artists and their recent releases, our podcasts, video interviews, and links to get in touch with us. Behind the Backing Track is a monthly podcast produced alongside Over Here by Big Boss Nick Vincer and Extended Harmony with music journalist Dan Gross. Covering all walks of life within the music industry, this podcast highlights performers, composers, arrangers, copyists, engineers, hell, even stuff I'm not quite sure about myself, in an effort to showcase the diversity of the music business. So today I have Joseph Ricard. Um, how are you, Joseph? Doing very well. Pleased to be here. Thanks. Um... So the first thing I always ask people is kind of like what your job occupation is in regards to what you do and the breadth of your uh, expertise. Okay, well, I am. Uh, I have many different jobs. I'm a trombone player, but I'm also a composer, band leader, arranger, and I teach at Bentley University. Uh, basically, just finding whatever work I can to pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally feel that. Um, so, uh, guide me really quick through your education, both in undergrad and your master's. Let, let's start with Berkeley. Um, so, when you got to Berkeley, what was your quote-unquote declared major? Uh, well, I came into Berkeley as undeclared, as everyone at Berkeley does. Uh, and I went there specifically because I wanted to study film scoring and jazz trombone. Okay. And... Uh, I actually finished the degree in film scoring, but I switched to jazz composition instead of trombone near the end, so I got a degree in that as well. Nice, nice. So what did you take away from Berkeley that you feel, I mean, there are plenty of things that you obviously take away from your undergrad, but what are some things that you took away from the vibe and just the professors there? Well, probably one of the more important things I learned while I was there was uh well, when I came in, I was a bit of a jazz knob. I really only liked and listened to jazz music, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to play anything else because, you know, why would you want to? Jazz is the best style there is, <laughs> or at least that's what I thought. And uh, when I was there, they, they forced me to play in a bunch of bands uh, in styles that I was uncomfortable with, unfamiliar with, and some of them that I just outright didn't like to play at the beginning. But I was a scholarship student, so I was forced to play in a lot of these ensembles, and they grew on me. They, uh, all the different styles and ways of looking at the trombone and playing, uh, it was very eye-opening. So that's something that continues to be very, very important to my job is, I mean, not just being stuck into one style, just being open to different things, different ideas, mm-hmm. uh, whatever comes your way. So what kind of ensembles were you put in that you felt like unfamiliar uh, going through the music and playing with people and just kind of connecting with one another? Well, I would say that mostly R&B ensembles or uh, stuff that was original from the students, some singer-songwriter material uh, mm-hmm. that I had never encountered before. I also started playing with uh, a Balkan brass band uh, with that kind of music that mm-hmm. I 
had never heard in my life. It's something that I, I love to do now and been doing for years. But when I first started, I was very uncomfortable with both how it sounded and trying to play it. I'd never heard of the kind of Balkan style of brass band that you speak of. <laughs> well, I definitely recommend checking it out. <laughs> so I guess what, what 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 is the difference between a regular brass band and a Balkan one? Uh, Balkan Brass Band just has a very specific uh, form and sound to that region. Uh, the embellishments that are done by the lead voices are just very different, and they lay differently on the horn mm-hmm. than a standard jazz style that you and I might be familiar with uh, would sound like. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, and so you finished your degree at Berkeley, and you go into the New England Conservatory. Uh, what did you go to NEC for your master's? I did my master's in jazz composition. Okay. And as, were, were you a TA there? Like how did that kind of dynamic end up working? I'm sorry, I don't understand. Oh, that. sorry. Um, at least here, the grad students are also uh, TAs, teacher assistants. So like they sometimes teach or help assist teach classes. Um, did you do any of that uh, while you were at NEC? Uh, that wasn't a requirement. Uh, that's something that our doctoral students w- would do, but the master students were just regular students, so we didn't have to do any TAing. However, I did work for the, the jazz department in helping to uh, facilitate uh, for the the guest artists that would come in. NEC was great for that. They would have uh, guest artists visiting all the time. Uh, my favorite was when Dave Holland would come through. He came through every semester and uh, make sure that you know, he had a ride from the airport and his hotel was all set up for him when he got here. Again, it wasn't required work, but it was it was something that was a lot of fun to do. And I got to meet all these amazing artists. Well, that was a big bonus. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in terms of contrasting uh, schools, did NEC and Berkeley, f- I-, I guess, feel different, have a different philosophy I feel that NEC uh, more just let you explore and do what you want to do, and they would support you in doing exactly what you want to do, and they would never really push you to try something else. I mean, there there was a little bit of that, but not as much as it was at Berkeley. Berkeley was more like, you can do what you want to do, but you're going to have to reconcile with all these other things that are going on. Uh, maybe fight to be a little more individualistic uh, at that school. You are directing the pet band at Bentley University. And so is it just kind of walking in there and making sure everyone's good to go on the tunes that you guys do play? Or do you do some of the arranging as well for that band? Well, since it's a, un- a non-standard band, it is Bentley is a business school. They don't have a music program, and we just kind of take whatever we can get. So it's a very non-standard instrumentation, and because of that, we can't really use the standard stock marching band or pep band arrangements. So I end up arranging our entire book and rearranging it pretty much every year because of who is there and who's not. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, that brings up a good point. Uh, so. Yeah, so how is it working with a recreational band? Because I know that 
you know, you've been working with, you know, people who want to be professionals this entire time and for them to you to come and sit in with people who have no interest in pursuing uh, music as heavily, how does that change of pace affect the way you, you know, direct your students? Um, I, I suppose there I'm more focused on not as much educating them about the music and more about the end result. I want them to get to the point where they can play it. And it's more for that about having fun than it is for any long-term goal. I just want them to be enjoying what they're doing. And if they're having a great time, then I'm I'm having a great time. I definitely do not see it as the same artistic format that I uh, try to pursue in my other endeavors. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In in your words, what is what is jazz ranging in like one or two sentences? It's whatever the client wants it to be. <laughs> if there is a client. Yeah. But yeah, it's it can be a variety of things, so it's really whatever, I mean, if you want it to sound like your own arrangement or if you want it to sound like a specific style, I mean, there's a lot of different rules you can follow or not follow. From that, I wanted to ask you what your personal philosophy is on kind of just arranging and working things out. Um, when you're working with standard ensembles, what you usually like to do in terms of harmonies and when you're working with non-standard ensembles what you do to you know form a melody line across different instruments and all this other stuff just kind of run me down the process of arranging a particular tune well as a a low brass player and uh, i also i do a lot of tuba i tend to be more focused on the bottom half of the ensemble and less on the melody itself so when i have a tune that I need to arrange, I always think about what kind of setting I can put it in. If I'm given free range to run with it, then I want it to, uh, I want the tune to really reflect me as a person as much as I can. I mean, they did hire me. They could have hired anybody. So I'm going to do my best to try to put myself into that arrangement. Mm -hmm. So I just did an arrangement for, for my band, uh, the Dapper Brass. And I did Arrangement of Summertime by George Gershwin. And uh, I was uh, looking a lot at the parts of the melody and the harmony that really stand out to me, that are my favorites, uh, what's, what's really important. And I would try to build it up so the arrangement could emphasize those points as best as possible. Uh, and then the points that I didn't find as interesting or, you know, catchy to listen to mm -hmm. i played around with them more i tried to make them a little bit more into my styles just so i can emphasize what i really wanted to come across yeah yeah and so what would you i guess pin your style down as like what are your influences when you go and start writing uh well throughout all of high school i listened pretty much pretty much exclusively to Buddy Rich and Charles Mingus. Okay. Those were my absolute favorite types of jazz music. So I would say that those probably uh, had more to do with my development than anything else. And still, I think that my writing 
while it doesn't sound like Charles Mingus is, it's very influenced by that. I mean, the idea that you're not writing for the instrument, but you're writing for the person playing the instrument mm-hmm. is something that I always try to think about. So in terms of the person playing uh, that particular part, uh, do you try to give them kind of their own voice as you as you see them? I like to try to give my players as much freedom and space to move around as possible. So the arrangement might have them with the melody, but I don't want to put them in a place where they have to read the melody exactly as I wrote it. I want them to be able to embellish it and bring themselves to it as much as they can. So I have a, a couple players who are like, I have an idea of what it's going to sound like and what their embellishments are going to be like, but I don't want to write in specifically what I'm pretty sure they're going to do. Instead, I'm just going to give them the bare bones of the idea and let them bring themselves to that that place. Even if it's what I'm expecting, I want them to you know, bring it full circle. And sometimes I'm surprised. Uh, sometimes they do something that I'm not expecting, and that can be terrifying, good, bad. It just It is what it is. And especially with live music, I think that's what makes it exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's talk about Dapper Brass for a bit. Uh, what what's what size of an ensemble is this that we're talking about? So it's all acoustic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have two trumpets, two saxophones, uh, two trombones. Uh, I play one of the trombone parts. Okay. And then tuba and drums. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and so is it just you writing this music or do other people chime in with their tunes and you guys just see what happens? I'm definitely not opposed to people bringing in their own stuff for us to play, but it is primarily my band. We're a pretty new band still. So uh, for our first show, it was all my my tunes and then a couple of arrangements that I did. But I've asked other people to uh, take tunes of theirs that I know and like, and I want them to arrange for arrange for the band as well it's really more about not perpetuating more of the same music but trying to get people's uh, like younger composers new music out there because i mean i've I've heard a thousand different arrangements of the same songs my entire life like uh there's what we have in jazz called the the real book which is a fake book with about three four five hundred tunes and I've heard every single one of those tunes played about 10 different ways at minimum. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I mean, I love these tunes, but I don't want to hear them for the rest of my life. I would like people to bring in their own stuff. I want to hear different uh, melodies that I'm used to hearing. So right now, yeah, it's mostly my own stuff, but I would like to feature other composers as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so going back uh, to arranging for people um, in regards to Dapper Brass, since the parts are, I, I guess, not super sparse, super sparse, whoa, sorry, but um, there, it, it's, you have room for a little bit of thick chords here and there, but still seven harmonic instruments is still only so much to work with how do you go about writing something for your ensemble there definitely is a finite amount of 
sounds that you can get out of the ensemble. But I think that, you know, you're not restricted to just one or two. There's still a bunch of different combinations of horns or if you want uh, to pair up the horns or have them play solo or maybe have it, this section playing unison versus another section, there's a lot of different variations. And changing those up, I mean, I don't think that it will ever really get boring. It will ever get tired to the ear just because there are a lot of different options. And going from one to another, uh, whenever you feel that you're – anxious for a harmonic change. I mean, yeah, there, there are definitely options. Hmm. <clears throat> so I guess moving on from that, do you prefer uh, having things or having uh, kind of music and the harmony be very close together? Or do you like having spread out things, dovetailing and all these other techniques? So I try as much as I can to, use all the techniques that uh, you were just listing, uh, dovetailing and everything else, just because there is a finite amount of sounds you can get and not using all the different arranging, different arranging tools that are available to, available to you would be silly. True. Um, I always think there's a, a nice little thing about putting yourself in a box and seeing what you can do with so much. I completely agree with that. Yeah, sometimes you can find the most creative ways when you're, you know, looking at a small amount of options. Yeah. So what what's your typical rehearsal schedule like? Unfortunately, my players are pretty high demand, so I I'm lucky if I can get one rehearsal before each show, like one good rehearsal where everyone shows up for two or three hours. I always feed them pay them if I have to, but try to reserve that time ahead of time. So, uh, yeah, as much as I love doing rehearsals, it's, it's some, sometimes more of a luxury than I would like it to be. Okay. So yeah, here, there is a section on this little, uh, show. I like to ask people, what is something that you hold a very strong opinion over and why do you hold that strong opinion over well i uh i firmly believe that acoustic music will never die i have i feel like the live performance has been threatened a lot not just recently but over the past few decades and i really don't think that there's ever going to be a time where live and acoustic music is not uh, an option anymore and i think that uh a band like mine being able to still find work shows that there's always going to be that option. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely uh, agree with you there. Um, I think that the threatening of live music is a little weird. Um, something about digitization and all this other stuff. I don't think it'll ever pan out that way, but, there's 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 a future for all of us. <laughs> hmm. Um but um so I noticed on your uh website that you do sell, you know, your original compositions and arrangements. Um 
So how, how does that process of like selling things, shipping things, having to go through invoices and send customer emails, all that stuff, um, how much uh, time do you put into that? How uh, successful have you found it? Um, has that led to new uh, client commissions of that sort? And where do you think that's headed for you? Um, well, it gets better every year. Uh, when I first set up the site, uh, while I was still at Berkeley, it was I would never see any anyone going on it. I just have the site so I can refer people to my site if I ever needed to. Uh, but it probably took a couple of years before that ever actually happened. Uh, most of the arrangements that I have on there were commissions at one point. And I eventually just put them all on the site and said, hey, you can buy these for a, a lot cheaper than asking for an individual commission. And it has been pretty successful. It doesn't take a whole lot of effort. Uh, it would take a whole lot of effort to set it up now, but since I already had the music, it wasn't that bad. And uh, a lot of times, clients will come to me for one thing, for like playing or for arranging, and but they'll also need something else. It's like, oh, I need a, a music teacher for my kid. And if uh, I show that I can do more than just, I'm not just a one trick pony that I can do other things, refer them to a bunch of other people that I know or do things myself. It, it's really, it's really helpful. It's being able to show that you're not just only capable of one thing and you're open to different. Okay. I'm not phrasing this well. No, no, I, uh, I, I, I get what you mean. You're like open to just being a diverse musician. Yeah. The website really just shows that I can do more than just one thing. And if I can't do that thing, then I know people who can. I like that uh, sometimes I'll get clients who come to me for one thing and will end up using me for something else because they'll see, oh, he also does arrangements. Cool. I can do that too. I need some of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it... – for arranging, how 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 many? What, what's the weirdest thing you've had to arrange for? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I had a church group a couple of years ago commission uh, me to transcribe a song for them and then put it into their instrumentation, uh, and it was I, I can't remember which tune it was, but it was a it was a pretty standard tune, and uh, but it was specific. To this one band they wanted this one man's version of it so I transcribed the entire thing and uh, then they they told me exactly which instruments I was going to be writing for and it ended up being like I think it was it was five people is like a banjo a clarinet a piano and like two singers something very strange it's like there's there's no way that whatever <laughs> what I just transcribed can transfer to these five instruments that so that sounds like a uh like a modern puro ensemble <laughs> yeah i mean i did the best i can and end up going over very well but it was it was definitely one of the more challenging and interesting uh jobs i've had to do recently yeah um and i'm assuming the most often or re often requested thing that you do is just arranging for big band 
Um, I wish, but it's actually mostly arranging for uh, brass quartets. Hmm. That seems to be uh, where I'm best known. So I love doing big band arrangements, but I mean, I also love doing brass quartet arrangements. So yeah, I mean, arranging in general is fun. <laughs> it is fun. That's true. I think that's all I have for you. Uh, thank you for coming on to the show today. Of course. Thank you for having me. My website is www.joericardmusic.com. I just started a new band called The Dapper Brass. You can find us on Facebook. And if you want uh, an arrangement or a trombone player in the Boston area, then hit me up.